entity. So combined entities were for 19, about 16.8. Okay. Um, and one you know, six, we were, right? One six. Yeah. 16, yeah. 16.8 million. And then if you look at 2020 pre COVID, you know, both contracted and otherwise recurring revenues should have been, uh, in the 25 million range. But obviously, COVID was just a crushing blow to the event industry. You know, there's a $3 billion drop out of the event management software business. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka. Now, if you're hearing this, it means you're not currently on our subscriber feed. To subscribe, go to getlatka.com. When you subscribe, you won't hear ads like this one. You'll get the full interviews. Right now, you're only hearing partial interviews. And you'll get interviews three weeks earlier from founders, thinkers, and people I find interesting. Like Eric Wan, 18 months before he took Zoom public. We got to grow faster. Minimum is 100% over the past several years. Or bootstrap founders like Vivek of Question Pro. When I started the company, it was not cool to raise. Or Looker CEO Frank Bean before Google acquired his company for $2.6 billion. We want to see a real pervasive data culture, and then the rest flows behind that. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. There, you'll find a private RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcast listening tool, along with other subscriber-only content. Now look, I never want money to be the reason you can't listen to episodes. On the checkout page, you'll see an option to request free access. I grant 100% of those requests, no questions asked. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Mitch Thrower. He's co-founder and CEO of events.com, also co-founder of ActiveGot.com and former chairman and owner of Triathlete Magazine. He was a TEDx producer, chairman of La Loyola Foundation, and co-founder of Active.com, the Active Network. Prior to that, he was co-founder and CEO of Active Europe, and Active went public uh, before selling uh, to Vista for $1.05 billion, and then eventually sold several divisions like Global Payments for $1.2 billion, and also is a 22x Ironman triathlete. Mitch, I'm going to try and keep up here. Are you ready to take us to the top? I'm ready. I'm just, I'm just older. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Look, the event space has seen some change over the past 12 to 24 months. Let's go pre-COVID for a second. What was events.com pre-COVID, software or something else? Yeah, software and services, primarily software for event organizers to make more money and save time by bringing the disparate point systems that event organizers are faced with today onto one platform. And help me understand the backstory there. When did you launch that business? So interestingly enough, we launched an incubator where we had several different projects going on. Kind of, you know, one of your philosophies don't work on one thing, right? So, you know, to figure out which one's going to work. You've read, you've read the book, huh? Yeah, I, well, actually, I think I, it was an interview, so I confess nice. I haven't even read the book, nice. um, but I will. And I, I think ultimately we, you know, we dabbled in the civic space. We bought a company called Civico, which we sold to Granicus, which then sold to Vista, um, and then we looked at the connected car, and then we were really looking at getting back into the event industry. And this sort of emerged in that process. So though we, you know, started code in like end of 15, 16, as one of the projects in the incubator, it really became kind of a core focus to really pour our code and launch and build an enterprise platform for events really around 17, 18. Okay. And so, well, just to be clear, so what was like, I mean, I know you did around like a series B, like for a million and 2.3 million back in like 2012 timeframe. What was going on back then? Yeah. So those are the acquisitions. So that was when we acquired a company in the civic space. That was all, uh, even though the entity is events.com, mm-hmm. that was the kind of in and out of the incubator. 
I see. I see. Okay. Got it. So w- when you say this was structured as an incubator, was this just you financing this sort of incubation with your own personal capital or was it something else? Yeah, it was myself, a gentleman named Stephen Partridge and some people that we'd worked with before taking a look at different ventures that could, you know, catch fire and uh, really have an enormous opportunity to scale, you know, build something big. And the events.com domain name is one that we acquired from CBS, believe it or not, it was originally owned by Bill Gross, not PIMCO Bill Gross, but Idealab Bill Gross. Oh, wow. And um, so when, what year when, was that? Oh, goodness. Um. I, I don't know the exact year, but that uh, I can I can find out. It probably was 13, 14. So you were sitting on the in the venture studio model, you got the domain, you were sitting on it, then you started writing code for events.com in 2015. Correct. I see. Okay. So so this is I mean, is is that what it was? It was basically a venture studio model. You guys were hunting for the next big thing to build. We didn't call it at that point, but yes, that was exactly it. You, I you, see. That's exactly it. It's really what which of these will catch fire and where can we really um, develop a, a working thesis that will be scalable. Okay. So what signals were you seeing in 2015 that gave you the confidence to say, you know what, let's go all in on events.com? You know, the event industry is, has transformed, not just in the last year, but prior to that, as technologies emerged for the event industry, event organizers were faced. You know, if there was like the Nathan Festival, you would be using up to 15 different platforms. You'd have one yeah. for ticketing, one for marketing, one for analytics, and you got some person in the corner with a spreadsheet trying to sell sponsorship, but they get recruited away because they're good with people. And so all of these different things that were happening was pulling value away from event organizers. Um, and we, we operate primarily in the, the sort of the mid-tier, although we have, you know, Wonderfun Festival with 56,000 attendees and the Rise Festival, and, you know, we have big clients, but our focus is really kind of the mid-market. Um, and so we looked at these event organizers, there's just a better way, you know, an absolutely better way for them to get access to something that helps them make more that helps them make more money and save time because it's just a, a nightmare. None of the systems they were using were talking to each other. So, you know, the app that they hired someone to build for check-in didn't match with their registration app, which didn't match with their analytics app, which they had trouble doing their email marketing to. So kind of bringing that centralized hub together, that was the problem that emerged. That was kind of the pain point. That we really wanted to address, and it's actually it's gotten worse with more uh, event-related businesses popping up all the time, even with the virtual, um, you know, and the hybrid things that we're seeing coming out now. So I think we're in a really good space to, you know, focus uh, on you know a single platform for events to manage what they're dealing with. So what what were you able to grow to that first twelve months? Twenty fifteen total revenue came out to what? Do you remember? Okay, let me see. Twenty fifteen total revenue, and I'll I'll share two contextually. The 2015 total revenue is going to be blurred because we've also just gone out and done some acquisitions. Some companies that have been around for 10 years plus, some companies for four years plus. So when I talk in numbers, I just want to contextualize that there's kind of the pre-acquisition and then there's the companies and their trailing historical actuals. Ignore the trailing stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in the first 12, we were probably in the maybe million and a half range, somewhere in there, million four. You know, the great thing is, you know, we were in, I would call it a beta, although we didn't necessarily call it a beta. But when you're building a platform for events where they're trusting you with their capital, I mean, many event organizers log in more to, to our systems than they do their online banks because they're watching their transactions, they're communicating with their customers, they're utilizing it for a part of their CRM. And when that happens, you really want to have a, a great place for people to live. Um, so our scale, our buttons on scale and organic growth and marketing 
we have not yet really pushed those because we wanted to get to where we were about a year ago when we were ready to really push it out to market. And then, of course, the pandemic happened. And so we said, let's go do some acquisitions to scale during a pandemic. But um, that, that's, that's, that's what we started on and, you know, taking one or two of the systems that people were using, bringing it onto one and then adding a fourth and a fifth and a sixth and, you know, 12, however many different features that they're using elsewhere onto one platform. And so with that 1.5 million and sort of year one history, right, just again, ignoring the acquisitions you've done now and their trailing revenue, you also went out and I think raised a round of capital that year. How much did you raise in, in 2015? Correct. So I think collectively, and, and we did it as a rolling raise. So I'm going to you know let you know we've raised over 50 million, and we're about to announce a round that takes us over 70 million, and that includes the acquisitions, um, uh, one of which we did in 19 and didn't announce. One of which, actually, the other three, which we're about to announce, I would say within the next two or three quarters. Um, and so that's that's an exciting time. But it's uh, it's about 70 million cumulatively, and. Because we did rolling raises, I can't give you the specific time of what came in unless I open up a bunch of files and tell you what came in and what point of the, mm-hmm. what what point in the year. The Form D stuff, just my team does crazy research for these interviews, but the Form D stuff said 17 million in 2015, 34 and a half million in 2019. And if now you're going to about to announce and go over 70, that means you're raised about 25 million-ish in the past six to 12 months. Is that about right? You nailed it. Okay, cool. So we... we a lot of people don't understand how to use rolling funds. Founders don't know how to use rolling raises to their advantage. Can you just quickly talk about, like when you raised the first 17 million in 2015, what valuation did you raise at? And how did the valuation change if you let the thing roll? Yeah, so what I'd prefer to do rather than discussing valuations only because we are in the middle of closing that last round. Um, and I'd w- want to get clearance first before sharing that. So maybe in a future interview, because I know how important that is. But I will share with you kind of some context around rolling raises for founders. You know, one of the interesting things that I suggest for people that are out there raising capital is to make sure to uh, authorize more than you may actually need and allow yourself to raise additional capital if you need it on the same terms of that round, should you need to. Um, and if you do a rolling raise, the difference is if you're raising capital and let's say raising 10 million you may only be able to use that 10 million when you get it to 10 million. If you do a rolling raise, you get the first million, you can use it and grow and invest. The second million, use it and grow and invest. Hire more engineers, more engineers, you know? And so that, that's, that's the, the, the baseline of kind of a rolling close, which I would encourage entrepreneurs to follow. Because it allows them to, you know, the dog years, right? You know, tech is dog years. Things are moving really fast in technology. So you want to move really fast as well. Yep. Let's build up to COVID here, pre, pre-COVID. pre So wrapping out 2019, what did you guys finish with in terms of whatever you want to share, revenue or customer count or whatever? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll take you through the combined entity. So combined entities were for 19, about 16.8. Okay. Um, and- One you know, six, we were, right? One six? Yeah, 16, yeah. 16.8 million. And then if you look at 2020, pre-COVID, you know, both contracted and otherwise recurring revenues should have been uh, in the 25 million range, but obviously COVID was just a crushing blow to the event industry. You know, there's three billion dollar drop out of the event management software business. It's uh, you know, it's kind of uh, the black swan, if you will. But um, I think it's Shervin who said from Virgin Hyperloop, unicorns are born when black swans take flight. So we decided to go out and focus on acquisitions and expanding into different geographic regions because indeed the world will respond differently, and different parts of the world will react to vaccinations and emerging from this faster than other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. So that's 2019, 2020, when you closed out, just whatever, that was three months ago. What did you close out there? 
So in terms of capital or in terms of no, in terms of revenue, 16.8 million in 2019 went down to what in 2020 because of COVID? Good question. So that would be one thing I'd want to hold back as well um, in terms of the COVID drop, but I will share with you it was significant. Um, mm-hmm. The great thing is a lot of our <clears throat> partners, right? A lot of our partners are museums that we power the technology for churches, um, you know, uh, temples, synagogues. Um, we do registration for festivals and galas and uh, all, all of the events, a lot of which aren't happening currently although a lot of them are also using our virtual event technologies. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a fraction of what it would be. Uh, and a lot of those, and, and some, we, we expect around five up to 8% of the event organizers globally will actually just not make it, not make it through. Uh, but the demand, the demand that we're tracking on the other end of this, on the other end of the nightmare is significant. When New Zealand opened up again after their first lockdown, which was abbreviated, compared to the rest of the world, they broke 16-year attendance records at their events and have maintained like a 20 to 30% increase in the people that are going to out and experiencing events in the real world. Mm-hmm. Did you have a video tech stack already built in events.com so you could quickly pivot to hosting virtual events? Or did you not have that tech build when COVID hit? Yeah. So from a video tech stack, we actually <laughs> we, we refer folks and integrate with other video tech stacks. So when people are powering their event from a virtual perspective, they will use our system to do everything from registration, sponsorship management, marketing, analytics, CRM, customers, refund, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and they can pick because you know, events that are using video really have two goals, right? They either want to broadcast to as many people as possible, in which case they're going to want to pipe it out over Instagram and YouTube and v- Vimeo. And so a host of, you know, that's one dimension of a virtual event. Another one is someone who wants restricted access, right? That's really where uh, groups are trying to say, well, you have to buy a ticket to get access to what you're watching or what you're interacting with. Um, so we took a step back and said, let's sit on top of that because each organization is going to want to do it slightly differently. And there's been so much, there's been a lot of chaos. We just wanted to be the, you know, we wanted to be the Levi's, I guess, in that situation. Mm -hmm. But so, I mean, with that in mind, I mean, just to cite some, you know, historical data points here in the space, right? Bizabo grows in 2019 from 10 million run rate to 22 million run rate at the end of 2020. Hopin grows from 3 million in ARR to almost 20 million in ARR pre hop pre uh, StreamYard acquisition with their video tech stack. VFair's bootstrapped goes from 3 million to 30 million in AR during this period. Why did you shrink if you had this capability? Yeah, so remember the capability, we are not doing video the way Hopin or Zoom or YouTube or um, you know, if you're if you're having someone who's getting getting access. Our primary activity is really for the event organizers to be able to use any of those platforms. We didn't want to limit any of our event organizers. For example, if it's your, you know, your local organization or a national group, they may have a specific tendency to use a Zoom or to use a Hopin. Although Hopin is in some ways a, a significant competitor, um, impressed with what they're doing, found is a great guy. But I think ultimately for what we're trying to do, it really is, you know, attack, tackle that mid-market and allow people to use any video integrations that they would like. So we focused on integrating with the various video platforms so that when people are running their um, apps for, you know, experiencing the back and forth, 
connectivity, check-in, sponsorship, marketing that event, um, also doing ticketing for that event for really the commercial enterprise around. So, so the sorry, event. I don't mean to cut you off, but there, so there was no go-to-market for virtual-only events. Is that what I'm hearing you say? That's correct. That's correct. Why it's not, not though? I mean, that's what I'm saying virtual. is like, isn't this a massive opportunity? You missed. I mean, you have the perfect domain name. Why wasn't this like the number one priority the second you heard about a virus shutting down the economy? Yeah, and and uh, I will share with you that one of the reasons is I'm editing out because of the acquisition that. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an there's an edit there. You you I think uncovered something that uh, we will be talking about probably not for three months, but okay. there is uh, there's something there in the space that we are targeting. So I'm is it, you 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 got a great way of, of uh, cutting through, but that that is correct. We we at events.com we were focused kind of sitting on the gateway to the video experiences. People are still having those video experiences on multiple platforms, and when you look at capacity for people to interact at an event. There's a lot of things emerging, right? I mean, you've got the whole event dynamic world of Clubhouse, I'm sure. I think you had a huge Clubhouse event at one point, yep. right? Like thousands of people attending it. And if you look at the way the patterns of human behavior are shifting now pre-pandemic, and then of course, post-pandemic, one of the things that we've been analyzing is what is the sustainability and the time line around what people are going to do in that hybrid environment? When you're going to the Wonderfront Festival, but you're experiencing it digitally from Milan, or if you're experiencing it in San Diego in the real world. So we've spent a lot of time looking at that space, and we have a pretty big announcement, I think, coming up about that. Uh, got it. Um, go back to pre-pandemic real quick. 16.8 million in 2019. How many customers were you serving that year? Do you remember? Yeah, let me go back here. <clears throat> and so you're talking 2019, correct? Yeah. What tool are you you're looking at a tool right now on your computer? What tool do you use to track all this? Yeah, we've actually built our own um, tool uh, that we, uh, internally that brings stuff together. And obviously, there's a lot of pieces for the event organizer. And we've looked at different ones. I mean, everything from Tableau to, you know, you name it in terms of just outputting different activities. Um, but if you look at... Dun, 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 dun. Okay, so um, about 52,000. Okay. Got it. And were they paying subscription plans or was it one time per event sort of deals? Yeah. So if you look at the event industry, right, you've got the contract with the event organizer and then the customers for the most, time, most part pay the fees. There's some organizations that use our platform and will just license it as an API, like Prudential that come and just use our program to build what they want on top of, similar to like a Shopify model. Um, but for the majority, it's uh, folks that are coming in and then the event organizers contract with us and the participants end up paying a percentage of their registration or the ancillary revenues or the sponsorships generated, et cetera. Yeah. So it's a couple, uh, couple it's last, a yeah, couple last questions here because we're out of time. A team, oh, sure. a team size today, how many folks on the team total? Uh, 50, 50 people. And how many engineers? Um, we have on our engineering team, combining them all, 21. 21. That's interesting. Okay, very cool. And then like usually I would ask about like churn and things like that. But again, you're in such an industry that's changing so quick. It sounds like you're really yeah. potentially betting the farm here on a couple of three or four maybe acquisitions that you're going to be announcing here shortly. You raise another 25-ish million, I guess, to fuel some of those. So we'll look forward to those announcements. Anything else you want to touch on before we wrap up? I mean, I think just, uh, you know, as a as a, you know, you do a great, great job, by the way, in what you do for all the folks that are out there in the SaaS industry and you know, truly appreciate the contributions you make to uh, software. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, you listen to the show a little bit. You catch an episode every now and then. Yes, every now and then. Catch up now and then. We've been we've been busy this year with the acquisitions yeah. and, and helping customers. We help events. I mean, we're in over 155 countries now, multiple languages, multiple currencies. So you can imagine we've been we've been pretty busy. We're rooting for you, man. Let's wrap up with the famous five. Number one favorite business book. Oh, that's got to be Venture Deals. Number two, I don't know if you've read Venture Deals, it is that Brad Feld, good book. Uh, number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? That'd be Eric, Eric Yan. Yep, a Zoom. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building your business? Slack. Number four, how many hours of sleep every night? Five to eight, depending on whether or not we're in the middle of negotiations on something. Fair. And what's your situation? Married, single kids? Married, married to the love of my life. We have one son who is keeping us, uh, keeping us busy. How old are you, Mitch? What's that? How old are you? I'm uh, 54. 54. Last question. What's something you wish you knew when you were 20? Oh, let's see. I think that that whole concept of do what you love and the money will follow is wrong. It's find what in the area that you love, where value is moving from point A to B and insert yourself in the middle and help facilitate the process as opposed to just going out and randomly saying, hey, it's an area that I love. I'm going to do something like find the value, study the world that you love and where value is going and how money and value is being exchanged. And then put yourself in the middle of that. That's more important. Guys, events.com started off as a venture studio back in 2012, said, let's go all on events in 2015. They did $1.5 million of revenue the first year in business, raised 17 million bucks, let that bad boy roll, grew to about 16.8 million bucks in revenue the year after in 2019, pre-COVID, raised another 34 million. Now between now and back in 2019, they've done some very exciting things, which Mitch will be announcing here shortly, but it definitely involves acquisitions and another about $25 million raised. We'll see what happens. Mitch, thanks for taking us to the top. Thanks, Nathan. Good luck.